temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Jim Cameron. He is founder of the Commuter Action Group, a longtime mass transit advocate and a Hearst Connecticut Media columnist. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? I am well, and yourself? Fine, thanks. Certainly, ridership is way down on mass transit in Connecticut amid the pandemic. Uh, Tell us by how much, and are you seeing any signs of a rebound? Well, on Metro North on the main line, which runs between New Haven and New York City, uh, weekday ridership is down about 78%. Uh, That number is slowly creeping up, but uh, is still quite discouraging. However, on the weekends, ridership is only down 57%. That means roughly half as many passengers on the weekends. So I think that speaks to a change in ridership. Um, You know, the the 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, regular commuter who was the bread and butter of Metro North is not coming back yet, perhaps because their offices are closed in New York City still. But the discretionary rider, the person who goes into New York City on the weekend, used to go in and see a show or go to museums, see friends, etc. Maybe they're not doing that, but they seem to be coming back at some point. The Hartford line, which uh, runs from New Haven through Hartford up to Springfield, is coming back a little bit stronger. I don't have exact metrics on that, but it does seem to be coming back uh, a bit more vigorously than the main line of Metro North, which I think is because... The piece of people that are taking that train, kind of paralleling I-91, uh, you know, are still going to their offices wherever they might be in New Haven or Hartford or Springfield. Um, they're not uh, fleeing New York City like others. I suppose the million-dollar question is, once the pandemic ends and things start to get back to normal, how many people will start riding the rails again, or will they be working from home long term? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I I have no crystal ball, but I do have some thoughts. Uh, I think that once we have a vaccine and things return to somewhat more normal conditions, I don't think we're going to see a return of ridership on Metro North the way it used to be. A couple of different reasons. I think one of them is that the people have found that they could be quite productive working from home. Um, maybe they don't want to have to commute an hour and a half each way to go to an office in New York City, especially if their boss says they can continue working from home. 
Maybe they'll go in one or two days a week, but I don't think they're going to do the nine to five grind. Um, even before COVID hit, Metro North said they saw regular commuters, the monthly pass holders, perhaps only using those passes four days a week, not five. Maybe taking Friday off, working from home, or doing a half day. So I think the thing that concerns Metro North uh, the most is, will the ridership come back? If not, uh, A, are they going to have to continue operating the service that they have? And B, uh, how are they going to pay for it uh, with deficits ballooning as they are? At least some of this has been covered in the short term by federal relief dollars. What does the budget look like going forward if there's not another stimulus? Well, the, the, you know, the first round of uh, relief money that did come through uh, did kind of make the railroad whole for the short term. But since that money ran out in September, things are getting far more onerous. Um, the, the chairman of the MTA, which is the parent organization of Metro North, um, not only the Metro North, the Long Island Railroad, the subways, the buses in New York City, uh, he is projecting a $16 billion, with a B, billion-dollar deficit by 2024. Uh, and that's not only because of a loss of fares, but also a loss of subsidies, loss of toll money, and increased expenses for the uh, sanitation that they've been doing. They've been out spraying the cars, cleaning every car every night, passing out masks to people. Uh, and, you know, we're recording this uh, conversation on Wednesday afternoon uh, later this week, I believe the MTA board is going to meet and they're going to take three very onerous uh, decisions. Um, the first is they'll probably announce layoffs of as many as 10,000 of their employees. Uh, they have also been threatening service reductions um, on the subways in New York City, maybe a train every eight minutes, uh, maybe a bus only every 15 minutes. And on Metro North, where we have had still pretty robust service in rush hour, two or three trains an hour in rush hour, we've already seen a reduction in service from two trains an hour off-peak to one train an hour. Well, that may go to one train every two hours. Uh, and they're also talking about fare increases, uh, maybe raising the subway fare in New York City uh, by a dollar a ride. So all of those are really contingent on uh, the federal government doing nothing. Uh, some people think that this is calling Washington's bluff, that these kind of decisions would have such a profound effect on the economy of New York City that um, uh, President-elect Biden might have to jump in and do something perhaps retroactively. But uh, it does not look good at this point. For people who haven't taken mass transit recently, what does it look like today compared to pre-pandemic times? Well, with the ridership being as light as it is, uh, what used to be standing room only conditions in rush hour on Metro North uh, is now plenty of room to spread out. You know, if the trains are still operating with the same number of cars, uh, but they only have 23% of the ridership that they used to, uh, there's plenty of room to spread out. So, you don't have to worry about being within six feet of a fellow passenger. Uh, the MTA has imposed a requirement that face masks be worn on all buses, subways, and commuter trains. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned because they're not enforcing that enough. 
uh, from my commuter friends uh, have told me that in rush hour, the compliance with the masking is 100%. There's no problem there. But at least once a day, I get an email or a tweet from somebody who said they were on a train and somebody refused to put a mask on and the conductor gave them a mask and told them to put it on, reminded them there was a potential $50 fine. They still refused to put it on. The problem is that they're enforcing this mask rule with the MTA police department, which is spread far too thin and doesn't even come up into Connecticut. So I think they're psychologically asking people to wear masks and threatening them with a fine, but it's not realistic. I think anybody on a train who refuses to wear a mask should be detrained. The train should be stopped at the next station and that person escorted to the platform. Uh, This is far too serious a public health issue to allow anybody's stupidity or politics to get in the way of uh, rider safety. Now, I suspect if if that were something that they did, there might also be some peer pressure in getting people to wear masks. Well, you know, yes, I think that the passengers probably to the person that's not wearing a mask have already spoken to that person uh, and uh, similarly been refused to put a mask on. Uh, And if the conductor can't enforce that rule and they choose to leave that, as I say, to the MTA police, um, you know, peer pressure is not making it happen. Um, On the buses, um, Greater Bridgeport Transit District, for example, which has a very strong ridership, and their ridership has come back much stronger, uh, never actually went away as much as the, uh, the train ridership did. Um, They're not having those kind of problems with mass compliance. The people that take buses are a different demographic. These are people that don't have cars. They need the bus. If they don't have a bus, they're not going to get to their jobs. So I think that they're far more aware of keeping themselves safe. And and I see masks also as a sign of respect uh, to others as well, too. For people who have that choice to take the car or take the train and simply don't feel comfortable yet going on mass transit in the pandemic, what do you think has to happen to restore that confidence? Well, first of all, to your point, yes, the, the, a lot of people that are going into New York City to their jobs uh, again uh, or still are driving now. Um, the traffic on I-95 and the Merritt Parkway and I assume also on 84 and 91, especially at rush hour, is coming back to the pre-COVID levels. So there's a lot of people out there that are, that are driving, perhaps because they feel safer, uh, perhaps because their employers, if they're in midtown uh, Manhattan, are uh, paying for their parking, which is uh, a very expensive proposition. Uh, the question of how do you persuade people to come back to riding the train and the buses is one that uh, Metro North's been examining. And I understand they're going to issue a white paper sometime in early December. Uh, they're already taking uh, a number of the initiatives that this uh, white paper will address. Uh, masking on the trains, sanitation. They go through every train every night and spray the cars for the interior, uh, killing any viruses. Uh, They have innovated some new ultraviolet light uh, virus killing uh, technology that's going to be incorporated into the uh, heating, venting, and air conditioning system on all trains. Uh, But I think that the most important thing is that mask compliance issue. You can clean uh, the surfaces of the seats and the grab bars uh, till the cows come home, but if there's one idiot on the train who's refusing to wear a mask, 
Uh, that puts everybody at some danger. Uh, so I think mask compliance is going to be one of the things that's going to really encourage people to feel safe coming back. You know, if you look at the statistics, uh, there have been people taking those trains. They have not been getting sick. We have not heard reports through contact tracing that, uh, you know, the, the, the super spreader events are happening on trains or subways in New York City. Uh, so I think it is safe to take uh, mass transit again. Uh, and, you know, if it's discretionary, do I want to go into the city? Do I want to see the tree for the holidays? Uh, that's one thing. But I'm most concerned about the people for whom mass transit is their their only way to get to work. Those people are going to still be out there, and they need to feel safe. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Jim Cameron. He is founder of the Commuter Action Group, a longtime mass transit advocate, and a Hearst, Connecticut media columnist. When you talk about contact tracing, I understand Metro North has rolled out or is in the process of, of rolling out an app that, that might help with social distancing and maybe some contact tracing? Well, um, you know, as you know, Connecticut has its own um, app that you can use on uh, iPhone or Android smartphones that will alert you if you come within six feet for 15 minutes of somebody who has tested positive. Uh, that's separate. But Metro North also has an app they call Train Time, um, which allows you to uh, look up train schedules, check the fares, buy electronic tickets so you don't have to touch anything as well too and they announced this week that they're going to add new functionality to that app um, to allow passengers waiting for a train to know which of the cars that are coming into the station has the fewest number of passengers um, this is rolled out already on the long island railroad it was developed by some uh, students at stanford university and what they did was they took advantage of the technology that these new rail cars have. Um, even old subway cars had this as well, too. When the doors close on a train, the train takes its weight. It figures out how many people got on at the last station and how do I, as the car, have to adjust the braking for the next station. So the cars are smart. They know how heavy the cars are based on how many passengers on board. Uh, so this new app is going to allow you, as you're waiting at your station, to be told five minutes in advance, you know, the next train that's coming in, front cars are pretty full, but if you're looking for uh, the most empty space, go to car four or five or six. I think that's another way of encouraging people uh, to feel safe about being on the train so that, they don't board at the wrong car and have to walk through uh, a number of cars filled with people um, to find a seat that's going to give them that psychological and, and social distancing they need. When you're talking about the, the Connecticut DOT, how would you rate the agency's overall response to COVID-19 and the, the changes it's imposed and, and how it's dealt with the, the financial implications of the pandemic? Well, the, uh, the DOT doesn't really run the trains or the buses, uh, with the exception of CT Transit, uh, which is part of their operations. They've left to Metro North as the vendor that they hire to run trains in, uh, in Connecticut. They've left it to them to, to innovate the kind of uh, safety measures that we've just been discussing. 
Shoreline East, the other line that's run by the DOT from New Haven East to New London, uh, has has never had a huge ridership in the first place. Uh, on the financial side of things, uh, I think the DOT is holding its breath just like everyone else is, waiting for some kind of financial aid package from Washington, uh, which uh, you know doesn't seem to be coming under the current administration. Uh, but uh, you know, there's a there's a new guy in town as of uh, January 20th, and the hope is that uh, he'll come through with uh, some money. Uh, you know, and this is true not only on the on the the transit side of things, but you know also the repair of our roads and our bridges, uh, the infrastructure that we depend on if we don't take mass transit, if we have to drive or we choose to drive. You know, the long term funding mechanisms for those are in serious peril because uh, overall driving has gone down, gasoline tax revenue has gone down, and the special transportation fund, which is mostly funded by gasoline tax revenues, is going to run out of money by the middle of next year. And when it runs out of money, that means that uh, the state can't even issue bonds to ask our grandchildren to help pay for these repairs. Um, So I am most concerned that the legislature has gone AWOL on this issue. Legislature hasn't done a whole lot since... um, the COVID hit, except for that special session they held this summer. And even before COVID came, they were refusing to debate any of the alternatives, uh, the long-term implications, the, the, the alternatives to find new funding to pay for our infrastructure. Uh, tolls is dead. It's gone. I, <laughs> I've been a fan and a, and a long-time believer in tolls. But uh, the governor made it perfectly clear that that's just not going to happen. Uh, but there's got to be some alternative. I, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago suggesting that the gasoline in this country, and certainly in this state, is too cheap. It doesn't really cover the actual cost of uh, the, the infrastructure that we, we wear and tear by driving, um, nor does it cover the societal cost of the pollution that we create. Um, the gasoline tax in Connecticut has not changed a penny since 1997 when the legislature lowered the gasoline tax 14 cents a gallon in a very popular political move, but in the long term, pretty stupid move because it lost us billions of dollars of money that would have been repairing bridges and roads and investing in mass transit. So um, I think the gasoline tax is, you know, given that the price of gasoline is so low these days as it is. I saw a dollar ninety nine gas the other day. I I think the gasoline tax is going to have to go up. So you know, I think we're we're in for a very interesting legislative session with some very hard decisions that will have to be made. Uh, lawmakers who did not want to address this going into the election cycle are now going to have to face this reality. Someone is going to have to come up with some more money. As you probably know, if if the legislature is going to raise taxes, they are more likely to do that right after an election than waiting a year when they're thinking about re-election again. Yeah, that's exactly my point. And I've been talking about this issue, uh, doing virtual lectures to, you know, men's groups and libraries and and everything. And and before the election, I I was telling people, if you're concerned about this issue, 
go to your you know your League of Women Voter debate night, or if you see a candidate asking for your vote, ask them how are you going to handle this issue. Nobody was talking about this before the election. Uh, they were all saying what they were against, tolls, for example, but the alternatives were not being offered, and. There's no easy answer to any of this. One of the things I've discovered in the 20-plus years I've been writing about these issues is everybody thinks, oh, I know the answer, I know the solution. Well, if the answers were easy, they would have been found and acted upon long ago. So um, yeah, I, I think we're going to have some interesting times ahead of the next session. Do you think a... Gas tax increase at the federal level would be more palatable than one at the state level? What, just spread the misery across the entire country? <laughs> uh, perhaps that would be the case. Uh, then Connecticut wouldn't feel picked upon. But, you know, it's a myth that Connecticut has the highest gas taxes in the country. That's absolutely wrong. Uh, it doesn't even have the highest gasoline tax compared to some of our neighboring states. Uh, and, you know, how could it possibly be that we're willing to spend more for a, a, a latte from Starbucks than we are for a gallon of gas that will carry us 20, 30, 40 miles? Uh, you know, gasoline is a, a one of the ways of imposing a user fee on people who choose to drive. Uh, you don't have to drive. You can take the bus and you can take the train and you won't be paying for a, a gasoline tax or otherwise. Uh, and I think that's what tolls were also. You know, the people that use the roads, I think, should be willing to pay for them. And right now, we're not paying for them uh, or, or we're not paying enough, certainly, to maintain them. As you speak to various groups virtually these days, what has been their reaction when you talk about increasing the gas tax? Is it getting some traction, or are they they're saying, well, why should you do that? Things are things are good with low gas prices, and, and that's what I like. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not one to uh, shy away from tough issues, and I think sometimes I'm deliberately provocative when I make these sort of comments. Uh, designed to get a rise out of people, but I want them to think, okay? Uh, yeah, nobody wants to pay more for what they think they're getting for the lower or the same price today. Uh, but, you know, what do we need to get people's attention? Do we need another Mianus River bridge collapse? Uh, do we need to, you know, have a crisis before we're willing to act? I don't think the Department of Transportation is going to allow us to, uh, you know, drive over bridges that are not safe. They'll close those bridges. They'll put weight restrictions on them. Uh, you know, Metro North a couple of years ago had a pretty much complete meltdown one winter. The railroad just ground to a halt because it was so old and so improperly uh, maintained because they didn't have the money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, some people, you know, hear me say something like that and say, you know, you're nuts. And I'll go, well, you know, what are the alternatives? All I want people to do is to start thinking about this because the bad news is coming, folks. Uh, the winter is going to be long. It's going to be cold. And we have a long way to go before we get out of this. You mentioned the hopes of a, another stimulus package with the incoming administration. Do you see any other policy changes in, in Washington related to mass transit with the, the new administration coming in? 
oh, yeah, I'm quite hopeful that Amtrak is finally going to get the funding that it needs to uh, maintain and expand the service that uh, it it needs to offer, especially in the Northeast Corridor. It's not by chance that Joe Biden is known as Amtrak Joe. He used to take the train on a regular basis to get to uh, to work from Wilmington and to Washington every day. I think we're going to finally see maybe some action on a, on a um, infrastructure package, something that the Trump administration has talked about over and over again, but nothing has been acted upon. And in a, a, a you know a Senate and a House that may be completely at gridlock and everything else, infrastructure, I think, is one of those initiatives where they can find bipartisan support. He is Jim Cameron, founder of the Commuter Action Group, a longtime mass transit advocate and a Hearst, Connecticut media columnist. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.